I wanted to ask you, what do you think has made you relevant for all these years? Yeah. There's no way we can dwell on defeat. And the minute you start focusing on the simplest of positives that are going well, it's incredible how you then start, the, the list just gets lost. already knew that okay I've lost these clients and they're not coming back and if they do come back um, it's going to be in drips and drives because they've also lost we are all connected so join me as I talk to like-minded people about topics that are appropriate to the current times we are living in. My name is Lerato Shabalala and this is Relevant. Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Relevant with me, Lerato Shabalala. I am, I can't tell you how much I'm looking forward to the conversation I'm going to have today. It is the first time since having the podcast that I've interviewed somebody who's in the same industry that I work in and somebody incredibly significant to the industry and a person of color and a very senior person. So that is exciting to me. Remember, you can listen to this podcast um, anywhere that you listen to your podcast, Spotify, um, Apple Podcasts. You can also um, see this on my YouTube channel because I put on makeup for you people. I dress up and put on makeup. I, I did this band for you people. So you need to come and um, check it out. And remember, I am Lerato TJ on all social media. Today, I am joined by, um, if I were to say to you, he's a creative consultant, um, it would really not be an accurate description of what this man has done for the advertising industry. He has won a Ken Lion, he's uh, won a Grand Prix, he has been judging the Luries since 2002. He's been, he's, he's so celebrated. You can see all kinds of videos on him. He is an amazing creative. And as a creative myself, as a, a creative director myself, it is an honor to be speaking to Ahmed Tilly. Ahmed, how are you? I'm good, thanks. What an amazing introduction. Thank you so much. I feel like I'm... I'm getting all red and blushy, but thank you so much for such a warm welcome. I absolutely mean it. I mean, I I must say, reading your bio, so I think you're probably maybe six years older than me, and it's just, just one award after another award, and yet none of it means anything to you. And I think I've watched about two hours of footage of you just talking. I, it's, you're an amazing human, and I'm excited that you are here. So... I want to ask you, you, thinking of all the things that I open with, like, what do I start with? And I think this is the perfect thing to start with, is I said, either you are, I said to you when you, before we came on, I said, you are probably some kind of a, a adrenaline junkie, because at the beginning of COVID-19, <laughs> you decide... Hey man, fuck the shit. I'm going to quit my job. <laughs> <laughs> and I am going to go and do my own thing. Please help me understand what moved you to do that. Yeah, I'll add to that. You know, I also bought a house. <laughs> <laughs> you had a death wish. <laughs> I, I, I've, been, I've been waiting 48 years of my life to have a house that I'm really happy with. And I've been living in this house for 15 years, which was my home, but it was really shitty. And eventually <laughs> decided to take everything I've got, like everything, everything I've got, including the house that I lived in, the old house, and put it all together. And I bought this house in, in June last year. I left FCB as a chief creative officer of FCB and Hello Computer, which is like for me a pinnacle of my career. I left it. I left those amazing jobs and those amazing people in March last year. In fact, my farewell was on the 20, I think it was the 23rd or 24th of March and we went into lockdown. Isn't that the day of the lockdown? <laughs> it was like a day, a day or two before the official lockdown. Whoa. It was like the first Zoom, first Zoom farewell and whatever. And, but in fairness, I had made the decision. I made made the decision to leave before lockdown uh, was a reality. Um, you know, I had actually handed my resignation uh, the previous year, mm. and I, 
so so yeah but uh, but but it was really scary because okay so there i was i walked out the doors in march we went into lockdown you know i had a little money carried over with the leave and these things that i had and i was like okay fine i can see myself over for a month or two and some of the leads that i had to uh, start the consulting business obviously you know dried up immediately when lockdown happened so i was sitting in my backyard you know, in my under my gazebo, it was in March. It was still nice and warm, and I was like, "Oh shit, what what am I gonna do now?" <laughs> and and I think I'm that kind of person. I'm a very very hard person and a very gutful person in yeah. everything that I do, and I just believed it was the right thing for me. It wasn't the last three months or six months or the or the three four years at FCB. It was something that was building up, and it was, you know, it was the time to do it, and I committed to it. And once I commit to something, I don't back out. So yeah. Yeah, I did all of that stuff in the in the heart of lockdown, and um, it was scary as fuck. <laughs> Can so you imagine? But I, I'm glad I did it, and I have no regrets. Look, if it works out, it's going to be amazing. If it doesn't work out, it was meant to be this way. I've, I'm a believer in that. So, yeah, I'm glad I did it. I'm glad I took the jump. Me too. I wonder whether you had the sort of Michael Jordan... Um, thing about you because when you left fcb it was 76 percent black and 80 percent was women and that's a an amazing legacy in the advertising industry and were you feeling like i'm at that point where i'm doing so well that i i don't want to i don't want to ruin it it's a good time to leave the agency's good the people are happy we're doing great work or was it just really something that said to you try this thing on your own after 25 years 76 percent and 80 percent was actually at black river fc, not oh, at FC. that was my yeah that was my previous gig uh, at black river fc which was my home started the business I, I i you know for me black river fc was very significant not just for myself but for the entire industry uh, to not hide behind the bs because it is possible yeah. Uh, I, I was I was I was obsessed with proving to the industry that it is possible to be black, to be female, and to be bloody amazing. And I did that, and I was ama- I was very proud of that achievement. I never doubted for one second it was possible. I knew that it's a harder journey to get there, but I knew it was possible, and we did it. And I was amazed. That was uh, that was amazing. And it was like for me a little case study to tell anybody who says, "Oh, the talent is not out there," or "It takes time to do these things." Whatever the excuses we are that we hear out there in terms of transformation, I wanted to throw it in their faces and say, "I've done it myself. It's possible, and I did it." And so, you know, that for me was a very it was a personal triumph. But the FCB thing, um, you know, the the truth is, I was I was unhappy, and it wasn't FCB. I left FCB because I had come to a stage in my life, in my career, where I was just not having fun anymore. Yeah. Uh, I remember doing a talk for one of my clients now, uh, Boomtown, who are based in PE, and they invited me to do a talk. And I was like, okay, but how do I inspire these people if I'm not inspired myself? Nice. You know? my, op- my, op- my opening slide was, hi, my name is Ahmed, and I am unhappy. And it was very therapeutic. It was quite cathartic for me to go through that process in a slide presentation to a bunch of creatives looking to me to inspire them. And the opening line was, I was unhappy and I had to change that because I believed that when you're not happy, you know, you cannot be, you cannot do anything good. You cannot produce anything amazing. And I was like, I can't do this anymore. It's not good for me. And I felt really, really responsible to the people that I surrounded myself, especially at FCB, because I came in there and I believed I couldn't add anything to their to their lives and I felt that's not that's not healthy. I need to I need to get out. So that was actually one of the reasons. The main reason for me leaving is to actually find my happiness. I mean my work is my is is, is most of what I am. Yeah. Um, it's not it's not everything, but we spend so much of our time at work. And if that's not making you happy, how is it possible for you to be happy when you get home? And so I needed to make a change and, and that's what I did. So that's I mean I, I cannot tell you how much I relate to what you are saying. I cannot tell you how much I relate to it. And happiness is something I think that is now the number one thing that everybody's focused on right now, because with everything that's happening, the moment we got trapped in our houses, we couldn't go anywhere. The, 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 our lives were right here. It was like, these are your problems. You are, you are not happy. Um, And I guess what I want to ask you is, as somebody who's currently in the industry myself um, and really thinking about how difficult things are, and yet we're still getting abuse 
from clients and advertising. You know, we still uh, work in the organizations where we work in. Um, what was the first thing you thought to yourself about what could have make me happy? I was watching one of your videos and you said you haven't gone fishing in a while. So you'd like to do that. You play soccer once a week. What, what, what was the thing that came to you when you were like, when I'm about to find my happy, this is where I'm going to start or this is what I'm going to do? Yeah, I mean, I think I think I think I, I, I understood what a great part of my life work was and how personally I take it. So I, I was going to start there because I felt like I could go on as many fishing trips as I wanted to and play as much football as I wanted to. But if I had to go back to work and I was not happy, it would spoil everything. So my my, my approach was I need to make this massive part of my life enjoyable. Yeah. I have to. I have to fix that. And and how do I fix that? Because that. <laughs> You know, um, here's the truth. that We are a world of very sad people right now. Yes. You know. Yes. I've been talking a lot about this. Is this, and yes, lockdown and this COVID and this 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 this, this entire thing has is, is, has forced us to stop and acknowledge how we're feeling, mm. because we just kept going and we just kept chasing and kept thinking that when we bought the BMW or we got the house that there was joy and it was bullshit, all of it was bullshit. So I think we kept chasing that dragon, but this thing forced us to say, listen, stop, actually what is important. Yes. And and I think for me, that was, that came after my decision. So it was kind of coincided. I can't say it did that, but it really helped me solidify the thinking and go exactly what is this thing called happiness? And for me, it worked. What was critical is not to be able to do the same thing I've been doing over and over again from the day, from the first day I started work. Not working at the pace I worked at from the first day I started. You know, you think when you're starting out, you go like one day when I grow up, <laughs> I'm going to have all these perks. I'm going to have time. I'm going to choose the things I'm going to do, all that stuff. And it never comes. Never. If anything, you work harder and exactly. stress more and get grayer very quickly <laughs> because, because we care. Exactly. We care. Anyway, so it made me it made me stop and think, and I just I was just like you know clients' budgets have become smaller. Clients generally, and I, and 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 I know the clients watching this, and I'm not anti-client, and the people get that impression, but I have to call the spade a spade. Clients uh, generally have become far more unreasonable with their deadlines, and the better clients became fewer clients, and I was very very lucky that I had lots of good clients. Nice. Um, but I saw them just starting becoming less and less. And I think clients became more inexperienced and that became more difficult and the demands on the agents. And agency leaders were more desperate. So they put a lot of pressure on everybody else. And so they kept asking for more work. They kept telling the clients, yes, we'll do that. Uh, and, you know, and finally eroded principles, just human, human principles. And what that led to was like nobody but the corporates making money. And everyone in advertising near burnout and unhappy and depressed. And there was no reward. And one of the things I said is, so when you're earning, when I, I, when I was younger and I earned very little money, in fact, you know, I was earning less than I was actually, you know, paying out for my living expenses. I got me into debt. But still there was something very, um, something that fed me internally. And that was the quality of the work. Mm. So, you know, it was quite an amazing relationship going like the money will come, but I'm really enjoying and learning and fulfilled. And what I found is advertisers become less fulfilling because all the effort comes goes nowhere. Mm -hmm. So very few of your projects actually see the light of day or the good ideas actually see the light of day. There's a very little appreciation. So what you actually have is nothing to look forward to, nothing to be grateful for. And that creates the unhappiness. And I was like, nah, I can't do that anymore. So I'm going to choose my path. And I am can only do that when I choose the clients I work with and I do the things I do. And that was risky because I just bought a house <laughs> and I was sitting <laughs> in lockdown. <laughs> but I, yeah, I figured if I'm happy, I'll be good at it. And if I'm good at it, people will want me and they'll pay me for it. And that's really how I try to change everything. And I mean, it's a work in progress. I haven't figured it out. I'm no guru. I'm trying to figure it all out still. Yeah, I mean, I think um, happiness is not a destination, I think. I think it's you, you're constantly trying to find um, your way in. And this, is, this conversation, I think, was meant to be because you're echoing so many things that are happening in my life that I'm just like, who sent you? Anyway, um, <laughs> <laughs> let's talk about the wonderful days of Black River FC. You guys did some amazing things. I mean, 
from um, Vuzu to Nando's, right? And I want to park on Nando's because I know you feel very strongly about it being a um, proudly South African um, brand in every way possible. Can you, when I was watching a little bit of uh, your interviews, you spoke about how at the beginning, you guys were sort of fumbling, you know, to try and find the tone of the brand. And then eventually you, you got it right. And it was like one win after another win after another win. What did that teach you about failure? Because I think a huge part of what we do as creative people <laughs> is failing in order to get to, I mean, I think like Steve Jobs made like 10 shitty products before he got to the, yeah. to the iPod. So what did it teach you about failure, those early years working with Nando's and the trust that we require from our clients for them to fail with us as opposed to throwing us under the bus? I mean, you know, this is, this is the problem. This is the problem in agencies. This is the problem with marketing, that with the science behind it, everyone expects everything to be a hit. <laughs> and it just doesn't work that way. And that's what's creating this tension, right? So everyone's going like, oh, you've got to be able to give me an ROI of this. And I don't know who actually, who actually says, yes, we can do that. There are no guarantees. I don't care who you are. I don't care what science you put behind it. And I think that is the essence of what we do is that it's more magic than it is science. And in saying that, there's a, there's a little contradiction coming up. Because I'm going to use an analogy of science. You know, science is, is, is experimentation. Invention is experimentation. And by definition, experimentation means failing first. You never do an experiment expecting to succeed. Exactly. You're hopeful that it succeeds, but you're often going to fail until you find a way to succeed. And I think that's really the creative process, both inside the agency and as a marketer, when you're putting something out. You cannot be that cocksure to go like this campaign is going to work. I don't know how you can guarantee that it would work. So I think what's happened is that because things have become so tight, the expectation of all campaigns to work has become far greater on mm. everyone. And that means you don't have opportunity to fail, which means you're going to produce a very, very safe product that is not going to offend anyone, that is not, that's, that's not going to get that notice, to be quite honest. And, and ultimately what you've got is a piece of wallpaper that will serve its purpose, but no one will notice it. So I think what I learned at Black River AFC and I think one of the things that I wanted was a very safe environment for the people. That was one of the first things I was conscious of at Black River FC when we opened the doors, is just create an environment in which people can be themselves. They mustn't feel like they've come to work and they've got someone looking over their shoulder. That was really the, that was really the only conscious decision I made when we opened that office, apart from the business side of it. And what that did was it allowed people to fail. And it allowed people to not be embarrassed by rejection. I mean, how many times do you feel like, oh, if I... If I'm going to get rejected by someone, whether it's in business or personal, you just don't do it. And by not doing it, you never know. So I think that that environment created an opportunity where we just said, okay, cool, let's see. It feels right. Yes. Everything about this feels right. And it's such an unpopular thing to say these days. But guess what? Some of the most well-known campaigns, most successful campaigns to date happened because it felt right. Yeah. Not because there was anyone or any data that proved that it will be right. So I feel like going back to that point, and Black River FC allowed us all to do that. We failed internally in our reviews, you know, in, internal, in, in terms of how we review things. And then we failed when we went to our clients and then we put work out and we failed. And that's how you learn. But the failures were quick and they were fast and there was no finger pointing and we moved on and that was fast the success of Black River FC and we had amazing clients who failed with us yeah, and yeah. never ever pointed a finger at us. I was blessed in that sense. And if I may, I know I'm taking a lot of time, but if I may, just use this opportunity because you mentioned just to give a shout out to everyone that made Black River FC what Black River FC was. Because I, the more I think about it, that place was absolutely magical and it was nothing to do with the four walls that were bright orange in the first uh, office that we had. It was all about the people, you know, and every single person who walked through that door added to the culture of what is Black River FC. And that's why I've got a very special place for those people in my heart. So, yeah, and, 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 and they helped me become who I am. It wasn't, none, not, there was no genius on my side. 
it was this chemistry that that place allowed us to be the best of ourselves, you know. So I really want to give a shout out to everybody. I cannot tell you how amazing that is because for people to be happy where they work is an incredible thing. And for, you know, 20 years later to still remember it or however many years later, remember it as fondly <laughs> is, is, is incredible. And to me, it says something uh, about you as a leader. And that's what I wanted to speak to you about. Um, I think what for me, what um, COVID-19 did for teams, for leaders, is to show the managers from the leaders, right? Because there are people who did not believe that their team should have flexibility, should work from home, and basically wanted their, their people to be, their bums to be on the seat, right? And then this pandemic came and we all had to trust our teams. When, when the whole thing started, I had been at like part of for a month, excuse me, for a week. I didn't know the people and we had to go into lockdown. So I had to learn people's voices. I had to trust that they were going to be on status calls. And there's a lot it brought out of me as a person who's in a leading position. And so I wanted to ask you what you, and also you've been voted as a creative leader by your own peers over and over again. I mean, for five consecutive years, I think, uh, at some point. And so what have you learned about leadership, about leading people? Because as a creative director, we have to move the line. We have to unclog a thing when creatives don't know what to do. We have to make them feel inspired. We have to get the right things out of the right people. It's a very difficult thing. And then lead them at the same time and create boundaries. So <laughs> I know that's a lot, but what did you learn? Um, what have you learned about leadership? It's actually, it's, I mean, you know, you only stop and think about it after the fact, you know, as a leader, you know, you're, you're leading, you, or you, you're working, you're managing, whatever you're calling it. And then, and then you think about, you then start becoming a bit more conscious about what you're doing, or what you've done. And I think for me, the one thing that I've learned is that it's actually very simple. Well, my style is, yeah. which is, which is empathy, right? And it's so basic. It's so basic. I just went back to it. And I think that's what Black River FC did. You know, Ross Charles and, and Kevin Aspos from Jupiter said, let's start this office. They went, boom, there it is. There's a computer, there's a desk, and let's start, let's start this thing. And they left me. And so now suddenly you're there, right? And you, you're like, okay, well, now this is, yeah, I am. Like, now what? And, and you've got to start being conscious about it because you're now looked to as a leader or you look to as the person that makes the decisions. And one thing I always went, like, I went back to every job I had as a child, um, you know, as a, as a part-time job or as a permanent job in advertising, whatever. And I was just like, if I were the boss, I would have, and I did that. I was more empathetic. You know, I hated the fact that someone would look at the clock if I came in at 25 to 9 as opposed to 8.30 because I drove from Lanasia to Santa. And it was, a, it was a crazy journey and you've got no control whether there's traffic on the road or not. So I understood that. I, I knew people who use buses. Now, if I drove that far, Soweto was on the border there. Imagine the people who use the buses. I mean, they've got even less control of it. So little things like this has made me understand that, listen, you've got to lead with empathy because they're people, they're human beings. And everything that you do, you've got to use with empathy. So, you know, whether it's clock watching, or it's actually coming up with ideas, you've got to understand that it's a creative process. And sometimes people are just not going to nail it. In fact, sometimes people are just not going to be in the mood to work. And that's a reality. And we feel like we, it's a reality, but we ignore these realities, right? We ignore realities like bad days. And you go, okay, well, fine. Let that person have a bad day. You don't announce it. You just go like, give them a little break. Let them have a bad day. Tomorrow they come back. Uh, you know, you cracked a great idea. You, when you cracked a great idea when you were young, you wanted acknowledgement. Acknowledge someone. Celebrate them. Give them the credit for it. So it's literally the, the entire thing that I, I'm a, I'm a scam because I don't know how I did all this stuff. <laughs> if I look back at it, if I look back at it, I just go like, if I were in their shoes, what would I like me to do? Yeah. That's very simple. Yes. Just do that. Yes. Just put, be empathetic and try and be your, see yourself in that person's shoe whether that's the person who makes the tea or the junior copywriter or the client on the other side 
or the MD or the accountant, whatever it is. You, all you, every, we're all human beings and all we want is for someone to appreciate us for the things we've done. And I learned another thing the hard way and to be corrected when we've done wrong, oh. to, be called, to be called out on it because yes. I was too soft. Yes. So Lerato, I was also accused of being too soft with my style. And I learned that actually, you know, you don't you don't do that. You when you when someone when someone messes up, you gotta call them out on their bullshit. Exactly. But it's just it's just how you do it. Exactly. It's not that you, you, you it's not that you shouldn't do it, it's how you do it. You know what I mean? I think everything comes down to that. It's your tone, it's how you approach the person, it's it, all of it, because it's a chain reaction. You you still want that person to come back and look at the brief and give you the best, but you want them to know now that there's an expectation of what they what is needed, you know, without actually breaking them down. So I agree with you completely. Uh, I completely agree, and, and 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 also we must acknowledge as leaders that most people will respond really well to you in that yes. way. Most, which means some of them are going to take you for a ride. And some of them are still going to take you and abuse that privilege or that 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 environment, yeah. and and not deliver. And so accept that because those ones also need to be dealt with fairly. And fairly in those ones means harshly, <laughs> so that you can be you can be more generous with everybody who is actually mutually uh, respecting you. So it, it's a hard thing for me to learn. I don't like confrontation, but I've also had to. You know, get tough with people and say, I'm sorry, I, I call you on your bullshit and, and it's not acceptable because what I learned was the impact wasn't actually on me. The impact was on all the people that sat around those people. Um, they had to bear the brunt of it. So it was not fair to them. I could absorb it, but it was unfair to everybody else that I absorbed the bullshit. Exactly. So, yeah, I think, I, think, I think empathy is really, really the only way to go. And people talk about it like it's jargon, but actually just empathy just means... Just like feeling and, and, and just putting yourself in their shoes and it goes a long way. I, I believe so. I believe that's the reason people have responded so well to me. And that's why they've worked so hard with me and for me. And you know, and, and, and really made me successful just because they were on my side. Mm. Um, so I give credit to them. But the only way to do that is just to be empathetic, I think. I don't, I don't know any other way. I, I, I couldn't agree with you more. I mean, like I said before we started, that I feel jealous not to have worked with you um, or um, you as my manager in some way, because that is the one thing creatives will always remember, that one great manager you had that changed your life, that made you wake up in the morning and want to go to work, you know? So I think... I understand why you guys were so successful for so long. It was because it was harnessed in the environment. So I want to um, go back to um, our industry. So in terms of brands, right? Um, advertising, you have the ability to come up with something amazing. I think we both um, uh, have our favorite ad of all time being the Think Differently ad by um, Apple. And so there are times where advertisers and companies can do amazing shit, right? Like, for instance, um, we've just had the passing of Dr. Cindy and Nando's did this amazing, simple gift of just giving her, you know, all the praise and all the, and it, it made us cry as, you know, it was all over Twitter. But at the same time, Amit, there have been some serious fuck ups. <laughs> in this industry obviously you and i are still working with clients so we don't want to throw anybody we don't want to we don't want to throw any names out there but some brands have really gotten it very wrong like really 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 wrong i can think of um big i can think of so many other ones where i mean even recently there was a thing with boiti and cotex where you're just like oh uh, what happened what what is the thing that makes that big idea be approved by the marketing manager and the advertising, the ECD, and then it, it gets approved, the film crew, everything is done. And then at the end, it's a flop. Why, why do we only see the, why do certain countries only see the fuck up at the end and not in the room where we're like, guys, I, this thing doesn't feel right, man. 
So, so I mean, that's a, I mean, you know, you, we spoke earlier about making mistakes, and there's certain kinds of flops, but then there's the things that are just blatantly um, like tone deaf, wrong, tone yeah. deaf and wrong. And I think let's talk about that part because the other side, I think you can easily think an ad is amazing or campaign is going to be amazing, and it just turns out to not be, which is a different thing. This part here about the tone deaf part, I mean. I know each case is obviously different, but I mean, what, what's common? What's common? Common is the, the people that, that not just making the ad, but the people who are surrounding that piece of work. Let's call it that, because it's not one person. So often, you know, what we say is, oh, it was a junior person that came up with this. That's like one of the most recent lines of defense, which is, which is very unfortunate that we blame the junior people, because that's the part of the job the creative director really needs to step in. Exactly. So, yeah, I think Take that... The, I think... Yeah, and, and I, I just think, I mean, it's difficult to talk about it generally, but and not specifically, but, but I think that you have, to have, you have to have blind spots in your agency or the creative director. I mean, I'm not even talking about the team because everyone has blind spots, right? And young people will have as many blind spots as anyone else. So if they bring ideas, I've had lots of ideas come to me and you've got to be able to go like, you know what, you may not be aware of it, but that is just wrong. You cannot say that. <laughs> Let's become more politically correct on that, or whatever it is, or that's racist, or that's, you know, that's um, uh, very gender uh, inappropriate, whatever it is. So the, the creative director's got some part of it. The clients absolutely have the other part of it, and it is always that fifty-fifty relationship. But if you cannot see things like the big ad, I think you spoke about, I cannot explain that. I don't know how to explain it. You've obviously in the marketing department hired the wrong person. In your ad agency hired the very wrong person. And I think, you know, everyone makes a mistake. It shouldn't be making a mistake like that, that is tone deaf and they should be reprimanded. But everyone's allowed another chance at least. But I think those people, those ads that become that go out there that just look tone deaf, I think I think there's something wrong with the system, the process, and the organization of the people around around them. It cannot have gone through so many checks and balances and slipped through everyone. So either someone was too arrogant to go like you're saying this is inappropriate, but I don't care. I'm going to do it anyway. That's one case. Yeah. Or nobody says anything at all, which makes me wonder what kind of organization that is. Or someone says, that's what I want you to do at a senior level and go ahead and do it. So either way, I don't know how those things go out. I, I, I cannot understand it. I think you've got to hire better, quite frankly. Exactly. You've got to hire better people who are more aware of the world. It doesn't matter how many doctors you've got in marketing or in in science or whatever it is what about the eq and i think that's the critical part is what is you've got to be you have to have an understanding of people around you. you've got to have an eq you've got to be more empathetic and sympathetic to the world around you so i i, I wish i had a simple answer to that i don't know how that shit gets out <laughs> um I, i'm cautious about it because i think it can happen to anybody exactly um, i mean i'd hate to say i'm capable of doing something that's stone deaf but, but sometimes these things can happen. But, but yeah, I, I, some, some of the examples we see out there is inexplicable. Yeah, you know, and I also think that it, it is about speaking up. Sometimes it gets you into trouble. I mean, I um, worked for one of uh, the telcos and we were shooting an ad for them. And there was um, <laughs> phrasing that I thought would be offensive to black people. And it was not, we were not the main agency. The, there was a bigger agency that was doing it. And I said to the client, I think I need to, I want to say something. Please, can you get me on a call with this guy? And we ended up getting in an argument. I was like, you cannot, I will not, I'm not comfortable with you saying this. Obviously, that means you're stopping shooting, you're getting client calls. Everybody must now focus on this thing. But in the end, they didn't do it. And I was glad. And the campaign went well because I knew it would have offended people because I'm from Soweto. And there's certain things you don't say that we will find um, um, offensive. And I think uh, it, it, it kind of is a segue for me into the teams being diverse. So, you know, you made, you spoke about, you know, the, the black and having women at Black River FC. And so, and I give talks on unconscious bias because I believe, as you say, any, like all of us have the ability to 
say some shit that's inappropriate and which is why we always need people to help us be like okay what am I doing wrong but what's the importance in diversity in teams particularly um, in marketing and, and advertising. And when I say diversity, I mean in every way, um, having somebody gay, having somebody with albinism, whatever the case may be, how important is it in weeding out those moments where we're not weeding out, but making sure you see your blind spots, like how important is diversity for that reason? Yeah, I mean, I think I think you've kind of answered the previous question as well, which is which is the one the one thing is diversity, but like you said, the other very important thing is the freedom to be able to be heard. So you know when they talk about having a seat at the table, I mean, I've been in boardrooms, you know, seats have been taken, but voices <laughs> haven't been heard, and that's the problem, isn't it? Oh, I love so, that. So 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 I think I think for me there's a combination. So let's not talk about diversity alone. Let's. Let's talk about diversity and the freedom to express that diversity. That's what you spoke about. You felt strong enough to be able to explain to someone that I find that offensive. And I think those two things are really critical. So let's talk about diversity. Diversity is quite important because at Black River FC, you know, because I speak so pro-black, people think I'm anti-white, <laughs> which I'm not. No, right? and you don't have to. And be, I don't have to. Don't have to be mutually I don't have to. Exactly. We don't have to even explain it, but it's quite important because actually that when you talk about diversity, the diversity that we had at Black River AFC was a diversity in talent, in race, in religion, in everything, right? I sound like a, like a world peace organization. <laughs> but, but, we, but the only thing we didn't have diversity in was in personality. We, we hired really nice people, <laughs> which, was, which, was, which was a thing I was a bit conscious of, but, but it was critical because you know, and I look at when I look at um, uh, race. You know, we had guys who grew up in rural KwaZulu Natal, in the Val Triangle, uh, through and through Sowetans that grew up in all from Deep Kloof to Orlando. You know, we had guys that grew up in small towns like Polokwane. You know, that was Indian that grew up in Indonesia and then went into places. We had people who grew up. Some a young lady who was in Pochestrom all her life and had never actually, I think, had a black friend in her life. And it was amazing because, I mean, in fact, that that young lady at the end of the day, I paired her up with a with a with a really brilliant young black uh, writer, female writer who lived in in the south, and paired them up for that reason, for both of them to learn each other. And the end of the year, it was so interesting. The two of them took a taxi to Durban on a holiday. Oh wow! It was amazing. Oh. It was it was absolutely amazing. They just told me about the trip, and I was just like, obviously, from where I come, where I come from, it was quite a big thing. But anyway, that diversity finds its way into the work, and it finds its way in both um, in common commonalities, but also in dissent. You know, and that's quite important. It's quite important that you have the diversity, and then the freedom to be able to air that diversity, that air that contrary opinion, which yeah. I think is so. You you know, how often have you been in a boardroom where you've got the full different shade of the rainbow around you, but the voice is the same, the opinion is the same, and you go like there's something missing. And what that thing is, is the fear of being incriminated or fear of uh, being being called out for being the the, the restless native. Yes, uh, yes. The, yes. And so you need to allow that. That's the critical thing is you need to allow that voice to be heard so that a, a conversation can happen. So the diversity is very important in the work, but not on a superficial level where we go like, oh, everyone has a, a kind of... Uh, uh, um, um, opinion in this piece of work or it's been approved by diverse people. No, it's about making that voice actually more single than it is more bland. And sometimes you need that voice to stand out as a Sowetan voice and not just a black voice. Exactly. Depending on what you're doing, how do you do that if you don't have someone who grew up uh, in, in Soweto and from, you know, so, so the diversity needs to be allowed to be exercised and expressed and in some places, it needs to be lifted up and go, okay, right, you are going to speak for Sowetans. And in other cases, it's going to be brought together to speak to a national South Africa that's a more rainbow nation. So you can only do that when you have different opinions. So the skin colors, the, 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 the religions, the genders, all of that's important. But what about the diversity of thought? And in the absence of diversity of thought, you've got nothing 
You've got wallpaper in what we do. So I think for me, that's quite critical. But the freedom to express it is the part that most companies get wrong. That's most it. companies get wrong. That's it. I, I, will never for, I will never forget what you said about seats being taken at the table, but the voice is not being heard. Because that's the number one thing is people are afraid to speak because people are like, I'm happy to have a job. I, I can't lose this job. I don't want this person to be upset with me or whatever the case may be. But our voices are important. Um, and I love what you said that sometimes you represent, sometimes I represent uh, people from Makasi, sometimes I represent women, <laughs> sometimes I represent black people. And I'm all of those things. I'm, I'm not, you know, I don't have to be one of them because I'm a South African. Um, and it reminds me that a couple of years ago you did um, an ad for SA Tourism. I think it was called It's Your Country, Enjoy It, I think. Um, and it made me think. If you were to do an ad about our country now in 2021, like what, what would you dial up? What, what would you do? Yeah, so firstly, you know that the ad that you talk about, there were two young ladies who I'm very proud to call my friends now that, that came up with that idea, which was Nobantu and, and Kanye. Um, and, you know, strong young women who had this idea. But I think strategically, Nell was, um, not Mashiko, Nell Sokola was the creative director on that job. Uh, and I, you could feel their voices in that campaign, which is why I mentioned it. Um, it's just strategically what we said on that campaign, and it was very important. And I kind of connected to the answer that I'm going to give you, was that it came from a deep, deep-rooted insight. And that insight was black people still didn't feel welcome in their own country. Mm. You would have to think twice before you went to a place in fear of being welcome there, wherever that is, whether that was in a wine farm or in, um, you know, a, a foul river or wherever. There is, this, there is this anxiety of, am I going to be okay to be me the way I do me as a black person? which is never me, it's we. <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a crew, and it's loud, and it's, it's music's up, and, it's, and vibe is there, and that's fun. Will I, or will we be welcome into this place? And it was a very important point. So I was like, actually, this is a Take Back the Land campaign. Yeah. In that sense. And that was the strategy that led to the idea. And that strategy is um, enjoy your, it's your, it's your country. Enjoy it. And that's such a powerful statement. I'm a bit disappointed that SAT didn't continue on that journey of mm -hmm. pushing this agenda of it's yours. Mm -hmm. That place, that beach is yours. That place is yours. That hotel is yours. This entire country is yours. Go and enjoy it. So I think that's the first, the first thing. If I have to do an ad for South Africa now, I think it would be the same ad. Because I think that work is not done. Not that ad, but the campaign, that strategy that right. goes, it's yours. The, the land, the ownership land of land is one thing. But why are you not enjoying every aspect of this country that was yours for hundreds of years? Why are we still limited in enjoying our countries, our companies, our homes, our streets? We're not enjoying them. We're not maximizing them. And that thing that you spoke about, mm -hmm. even when it comes to our companies, our voices are not heard because we don't feel like we have ownership of those things. Mm -hmm. You have to own it mentally to be mentally free, you've got to be able to own it. So I think the campaign for South Africa is still that. It's, it's, it's your country, enjoy it. And whoever hears that message can take it upon themselves they want, the way they want to. But nobody's going to tell South Africans how to behave in their own country. Right. Nobody's going to tell South Africans, no. No one's going to tell them how to make it big in their country or to be famous in their country or to be quiet in their country or to do anything they want. And I think that emancipation still has not happened. We are, and that's the reason we haven't, we're not really free yet as a people. And black South Africans aren't free yet as a people. It's not just economic freedom, it's this mental freedom that we still haven't enjoyed. And the young people, I see glimmers of hope in them, not having that limitation, but unfortunately time takes that away from them. And so I think it's very important for people in their 30s, because that's the most critical sort of category for me of people that change in great movements. 30s and 40s, mm. to own the land here. Yes. They need to own the land here. Yes. And once you own the land here, you'll own the land for real. And yes. we haven't done that. If you, look, 
if you look at business, if you look at business and look at advertising, I'm going to do a segue for you to transformation here. If you look at that, we keep wanting to, I myself have been a part of that for 25 years, since Nguyen brought me in. From that day till the day till now, I'm still fighting for the transformation of people. And, and a few years ago, I was like, well, what's going on? I mean, we are, I'm talking of fighting for a transformation of white to black. Why? Why not create black? Hmm. We've got to start creating black. We've got to create black agencies. We've got to create black, big black agencies. We've got to create big black clients. Why are we still got, you know, white-owned entities? Where's the black-owned checkers? Where's the black-owned BMW? Where's the black-owned everything? So that requires us on the land here because we don't do that thinking that we've got a great job, we've got a good title, we've got some shares coming in, you've got your BMW and you've got your, 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 you know, your, your, your little mansion and you think you've made it, you've made nothing. You've made nothing, we are still being held by puppets and still being done exactly the way we were before except we were given a little more money. So, so I, think, I think, yeah, this ad for South Africa is, you own South Africa, now own it. Oh, I love that. I really, really love that. I love that. And I love it a lot because it, it speaks to me. Like recently, and when I say recently, like in maybe two weeks, I've come to the realization and more acutely this week that I'm a creator. So people talk about, oh, uh, you, you can manifest things, but I'm actually creating my life. I'm creating it. And the first place the creation starts is, is in here. And so I'm now very much responsible. I'm very aware of it. I mean, aware of it so much now that it's, it, it rules me that I, I need to decide what kind of life I am creating for myself. That word, that word. Sorry, I have to interject. I was going to say to you, it's the same thing when you do when you, you're trying to come up with a campaign that is like great idea, you have to decide yes. that that's the word. You decide what you want. So, <laughs> so you know, pe people tell me, how do you win an award? And I'm like, uh, I don't like that thing, but I can tell you how to create a great piece of work that people talk about is you decide that you want it. Because once you decide that you want it, when you come up with an idea, you will, you will feel whether that idea is good enough or not. Exactly. When you have an opportunity for a job and you've decided that you want happiness, you will know whether that's going to give you happiness or not. If you've decided to become wealthy at any experience, when that opportunity comes to screw somebody over to make the money, you'll know what to do. But you've got to first, you've got to first decide. And I think that's the beauty. That's the brilliant thing. And it, it's amazing. Even in, even in creativity, your creative people will ask you how to do that. Tell them, decide to make the best ad of your life. Exactly. Exactly. I am going to make the best ad of my life on this brief. Yeah. And that's a decision. When you do that, you've changed the course of that particular thing. And exactly. the same applies in life, doesn't it? Exactly. So we focus on the manifestation of the thing. But before the thing can be manifested, a decision has to be taken first. <laughs> you know what I mean? You can't have one without the other. And that now... Is, is the, like I said, it's an acute realization for, for yeah. me. So I wanted us to talk about as creators, both you and I and writers, I wanted us to, my second last question for you is us to talk about creativity. So you look at um, how much uh, people focus on creativity now. Netflix has a, a show called Abstract where they, to, you know, you can learn about absolutely everyone. If you're like me and you like architecture, you can uh, speak to the, see the greatest speak about it. We've got master classes on how to do filmmaking. So there really is a huge focus on creativity. And yet creators are still not, because it's magic and not science, people are like, why does it take so long? You sit around and you're thinking, you're doodling. And so the value is not as high as it used to be. So certain industries are dying like media, some, some industries like advertising and it's sort of flux because clients don't have money. What do you think is the future of uh, creativity, especially in the digital world that we live in now? I mean, where, 
do you see creativity in all spheres um, leading? I, you know, I've got to say South Africa is lagging in this regard in terms of respect for creativity. Mm. I, I think I, th I think we I think I think abroad. Uh, I know there are some countries in Europe, you know, whether it's like cities like Berlin or uh, you know New York or wherever. There's a, there's and I'm saying cities because actually the cities and the municipalities you will see their focus where they go yeah. like we honor the creative people. So the artists and the these people and the designers and whatever they give them opportunities in terms of how in Amsterdam they'll give them areas to work from or whatever it is and they support it. In South Africa, I don't think we have that. And unfortunately, we'll, as is the case in South Africa, and I have to be a slightly negative here, is that we'll only realize the importance of something after we've screwed those people away. Yes. It's too late, when it's too late. So at creativity, as the world is saying, creative thinking, creative problem solving is the only solution. They are changing syllabus around the world to try and counteract the way we've done things in schools before. They are, they are changing their movements. They are changing the way they hire people. They're looking at different sort of analysis in people and, and, and they're reconsidering whether a degree is the thing that is the critical part. That's what they're doing overseas. In South Africa, we're still trying to get people into school, to indoctrinate them to come out, to go to varsity, do the same thing, right? Secondly, our creative, in our, in our specific field, we're talking now advertising, I mean, so the future is creative solutions. Right? We've, we've, it's, it's there. Even business, you cannot go and buy stock and sell it and buy low and sell high. That idea creative is gone. What you have to do is you have to invent. You have to find new things that give people new solutions to all problems. Uber, mm. Airbnb, mm. all those things. Right? And that's where the, that's the multi-million. That's the top 10 companies of those. In our business in advertising, let's just do this quickly. Clients don't have less money. Clients are spending less money. Yes. There's a fundamental difference. <laughs> yes. In yes. other words, brands are screwing the ad agencies for more bank for more buck and we are taking it. So what that's doing is it's creating the squeeze on human potential and human people and the humans in our department, the creative people. And that's creating a massive exodus and burnout. And so they're leaving our industry, which is basically leading to the end or the demise of the creative industry. It won't end, but it'll go through a very, very difficult patch where we won't find great talent in our industry anymore because they will have found that now you can, your side hustle can make you money. There are people making money from playing PlayStation. There are people who are making money from just being on TikTok and on social media platforms. They are generating income from that. My Jimbo. From exercising their creative. Exactly. My Jimbo is exactly. one of those people. Why would I want to stay in advertising when my boss is asking me to work another weekend and another uh, uh, late night and see through the night for a pitch that we may win that I will never see the benefit of except for getting, keeping my job? <laughs> um, it doesn't add up. I mean, what, it doesn't add up. And the clients who go like, you've got the weekend, and I'm sure you can do it on Monday, what are you smoking? So there's no appreciation for creative and what the creative could do. If you genuinely, and some of my old clients understood what we did for them, they knew that we gave them great value, not a great promotion. They understood that when you have a great idea that people talk about, the brand value improves and the sales improve. Yes. And so they honored us. How did they show us that they honored us? They gave us a reasonable amount of time to do something. They had an open mind towards going, that costs you a little more money. They said to us, absolutely, we'll let you try the product. Go and try the product. That's how they honored the creatives. Yes. When was the last time a client understood the power of a creative person to change their life, to manage to buy them another holiday house? Exactly. So it's this guy and this designer and that account manager and that strategist, those people that you talk, you, 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 you actually treat poorly, like you do, uh, you know, how a rude person treats a waiter. You treat them in that regard, but they are the people who are going to give you your 13th check and your dividend. Bonus, exactly. If you, understood, if you understood that person, what they did, would you treat them that way? And if you treated them better, you would pay your agencies better. If you paid your agencies better, agency leaders would treat their people better. If that happened, 
we'll open up more agencies, more companies, this economy would thrive more, everyone would be better off. So that's why when I get critical with clients, it's because it starts there. And there are very few clients who appreciate the power of creativity, very few. And there are even less who value the people who give them the rewards they get. I mean, and so the future of advertising is that. The future of creativity is in appreciating what creativity is. Others, none of us are going to have it. We will have no solutions to world problems. And yes, an ad guy said, you won't have solutions to the world's problems if you neglect advertising people, creative people, creativity. Right. I, I mean, I, you are preaching. <laughs> you don't understand. I feel like I'm about to shout because you know, <laughs> listen, you're just giving me an opportunity. You're riling me up. You're just giving me things to talk about that usually yeah. stay in here. Yeah. And this is why I wanted to chat to you. And I didn't want it to be an interview. I wanted it to be a chat. I mean, because I knew for some reason that when I talk to you so much is going to make sense and come together and so much about uh, bravery, creativity, being a human being, empathy. And it's been better than what I imagined. Literally one of Thank you. my, and I've interviewed people since I was 19 years old. And this is one of my favorite interviews of my life. Like this, this really... You. Really, really, really. I'm not exaggerating. I'm not exaggerating. Thank you. I appreciate it. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for saying that. You're incredible. So my last question is, I was watching um, an interview. They were asking you about success. You did answer the question, but the first thing you said is that you don't think, this interview was last year, by the way, so not 10 years ago. Um, You said you don't think you're successful. And I thought, wait a minute, this guy for me, is the epitome of success. He um, has, uh, you know, been a leader for years. I think you've been a creative director since like 2003 or something like that. And you have won all the awards, which you don't count because that's not why you do them for. But on paper, I was like, of course, he's going to say, uh, the number one thing you do is blah, and then you do this, and then you do that. But you started by saying, hmm, not quite, which made me think, I really want to ask you, I want to end our interview by saying, so what is, what will success look like to you? What does it look like to you? And will you know, I don't want to make it sound like a destination, but what do you think makes you successful as a human being? And when I say you, I mean, Ahmed, but I also mean us as people. So what do you think is the thing that's going to make you successful? You know, um, so I'll tell you a little like recent story. So this year, this year has been uh, an amazing year and a really rough year. So like I lost, I lost my dad nine months ago, sure. and then I lost last weekend. Last weekend, I lost my cousin. She was young. She died of COVID, and the weekend before that, I lost my uncle. Not of COVID, but he he, he wasn't well and he died. But very influential people in my life. And the, you know what happens when someone, when someone dies? And my dad taught me this even after he died. He continued teaching. The things people say about you after you die is what success is, isn't it? Yes. They never talk about the ad you made. They, they, they never go, this is the guy. I mean, the media might do those things, but they're not going to go like, oh, yeah, I remember he used to he made that ad. No, they talk about like, you know, they, he always made time for me or... You know, he always, all the good things about the, the human aspects of it. And, and, I, and I've, I heard my dad's friends talking about, and, and young people who went like, you know, your dad used to always crack us up. And I was like, what are you talking about? He's like, no, he used to always have this joke. We used to do this thing. And he was always had a smile on his face. And the old people and the young people, they said all these amazing things. about him. The one thing they said about him was, you know, there was, there was never, he never said a bad thing about anyone. Right? Mm-hmm. So that's like not, a, not just a polite thing to say. There was never a time, and I reflected because I know, I lived with my dad, I grew up with him, and he never ever said a bad thing about anyone, even in my presence. So it backed it up, and I was just like, that's success. That success, success is the prayers of so many people that you leave behind, right? 
So forgive me for getting all deep on it because I think maybe that's the space I'm in at the moment. But no, for listen, me, I I get it because you lost your dad nine months ago. I lost my dad nine years ago, and today is um, his birthday. And oh, I woke up uh, thinking about him. I thought I'm gonna have to play Shade and Anita Baker at some point today. I'd already started with the jazz this morning, and so you are speaking to somebody who spiritually i i get it and 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 may rest rest in peace but i think that's what it is i think everything is the facade right that we get we chase a career and we abuse people along the way but actually none of that matters except the people along the way mm. so if only we had reassessed that and you just go you know, the people is what it's about. The people that you, you, the journey, as you said, is what it's about. And when you start appreciating those, those, those human beings along the way, that's success. So I hope, and, I, I, and of late, of the past few years, I was, it's become a conscious thing. The Ask Ahmed Anything program is, is a conscious effort to affect more people. Yes. It's a conscious effort to try and, and, and help as many people as possible. Because I would like to know, I would like to think that one day, when I, when you, when you get the news, Ahmed has died. That people will say good things about me. Mm. That's all I want, and I don't want, I don't need anybody to tell me how good airman I was because that is meaningless. Mm. I want to know that I affected people in a good way, and and so I'd like to end that question with this because I've been thinking about it so much. And when you started the show, or the question, I wanted to actually start with it. But I want to take the opportunity to thank everybody, everybody from my lecturers at AAA school. My mom, who, who had no money, let's start there. And she, you know, she made, she made dough, pie doughs to, to put me through college, even after I'd failed a couple of times. And she typed per page and her finger, till her fingers were blue and bleeding to put me through college. And then, and then at college, I had, te- I had one lecturer who had faith in me, you know, who really saw something in me that I hadn't seen in me. It's amazing. Ingrid was her name. And I'll never forget that there was another lecturer who told me I wasn't cut out for this. And it wasn't, if it wasn't for Ingrid, you know, and that's how important it is, I wouldn't have found so much joy. Nkwenkwe Nkomo, who saw something in me. And I saw this, I was like, there's a black creative director, I've got to work there. I've never heard of a black creative director. I want to work there. Nkwenkwe Nkomo. Uh, Sam Tembi, who took me in like I was a son of his. Mm. You know, he took me out of my office and said to me at FCB, he said to me, come, you sit with, with me. He called me Kathy because I'm a Katrade. He said, you will sit with me. And I said, I don't know. I've got to check with him. He's like, no, no, come with me. And he took me himself, Zolani, Nkwego Nkomo, and, and Papa Sam, adopted me and gave me a home and taught me the ropes, you know? And they never get the credit that they deserve. And I go through life. There was a lady by the name of Rachel who let me use a computer so that I could type my scripts at night. Sure. You know, like... It was 26 years ago, but she was the nice one who gave me a computer to type the scripts and often helped me type because I was doing this thing. You know, so I mean, like, I could have, if it wasn't for her, where would I have been? I'm just mentioning names because I've never had an opportunity. And then I went to other places. You know, uh, Dougal McDonald saw something in me. He took me to publicists. You know, I met Michelle Decker there. There's amazing people. When I got to Jupiter, how many people have got to thank their Ross Charles for seeing something in me, some, something amazing, and all the people who worked there. You know, he became my mentor, but he, he, he gave me a break at a time when it was unpopular to give somebody a break. Myself, PJ and, 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 and Adesha, you know, where they made us shareholders. Let me tell you something. They made these people of color shareholders in that organization. We had people who were our friends who slammed doors and left the agency because of who I thought were close to us. And guys like Ross and Kevin and Joanne stood by us and said, this is the right thing we are doing. You know, what about all this? All the people at Black River FC, Jenny and Alan, all my clients, all of these people at FCB, so many people, so many people who've become so close to me. These are the people who put the little pieces that make who we are. Mm-hmm. And so that's why if, if I'm deemed to be successful in this industry, it is because of all those people at Black River FC, all those brilliant talents that gave me, a, put me up in shining light, all of them. They helped me become it. I, I, I got more than I gave. So I want to you know, give a shout out to everybody. And I've only mentioned a few names. And that's what success is. is making sure that more people have good things to say about us than those who don't. And if we've done that, we've done our job here on earth. 
let me tell you, I, I know for sure that your father, and may he still rest in peace, is super proud of you in this moment and is just watching you thinking, okay, I didn't do badly with this boy. <laughs> From Joburg, who grew up in Pulukwane, who then came back and lived in Cape Town and has this amazing, interesting life. Um, I, I, I couldn't agree with you more, and I think I, I'm just, I'm part of a, a creative uh, group of people in marketing and advertising, really, really like people like Sylvester Chauke, um, Another great client. Wonderful, you know, and we talk so highly about you. And I wonder how many of us actually get to tell you how much we admire you. We post your videos on our group. We talk about you. We are so happy for how you represent us and you truly do represent us. So I just want to say thank you for representing us, people of color, always talking for us, representing our excellence, representing our, how we should um, see ourselves and speak about ourselves and just showing that we're just like Nina Simone said, just beautiful people, just beautiful people. You. And you remind us of that. Thank you for this moment, I mean, Thank you so much. Thank you so Thank you so much for that. It means more to me than ever you could ever know. So I'm getting so emotional. Thank you so much. And some of the things you said there and the people you mentioned, it's amazing. That's that's all I ever, ever wanted for my life's work. So to, to be seen and appreciated that way, doesn't get better than that. Thank you. I really you appreciate it. You are loved immensely. Thank you so much Thank for joining me. May God bless you. Thank you so much. And you. Have a good day, Father. You too. Bye. Bye, Mitch. Bye.